Welcome to The Green Insider, powered by eRenewable. Each and every podcast, hosts Mike Niemer and Greg Frank will bring you energy experts to help you better understand the renewable and sustainability space. Education is important to us because it's important to you, the listener. Now here's Mike Niemer and Greg Frank. And we welcome you into episode 164 of The Green Insider, powered by eRenewable. My name is Greg Frank, soon to be joined by eRenewable CEO, Mike Niemer. As always, as we'll get to our guest in just a few moments, but we always like to check in with Ann Niemer as well at the beginning of these podcasts. Ann has a few words for us right now. So without further ado, here is the eRenewable COO, Ann Niemer. Ann Niemer here, COO of eRenewable. If you are a wind, solar, or battery storage developer and you're looking to find an off-taker, our online live auction is a perfect platform to help you find that buyer. Conversely, if you're a CNI customer and you're looking to establish a PPA or VPPA, our auction platform could work for you. To learn more about how we can assist you with your power purchase agreement, visit us at eRenewable.com. And now, back to the Green Insider. And we welcome you into episode 164 of the Green Insider, powered by eRenewable, alongside Mike Niemer. My name is Greg Frank, as we welcome on our guest. He is Nick Cohen, President and CEO at Doral Renewables, LLC, formerly named Global Energy Generation, LLC. And Nick has been a guest on the podcast previously before my time with the Green Insider, as he was on episode 82 about a year ago, and he's back now to join us again. Nick, thanks a lot. And let's let the listeners know we were talking about it before we jumped on. A couple of Cherry Hill, New Jersey natives connecting here. Uh, I grew up in the old orchard section of Cherry Hill, and uh, I know that uh, you're a Cherry Hill guy as well. Same high school. So how about that to start off? Yeah, it's a small world. It's wonderful. Glad (laughs) to be here. I understand that there's an update on the Mammoth Solar Project that you guys are working on there. Uh, And uh, is it still targeted to finish in 2024? Just tell us where you're at with that. Yes, we're we're on schedule. Uh, It it really should be wrapping up uh, towards the end of this year. It's 65% complete. And uh, as you can imagine, on a project that size, at least on the 400 megawatt section, which is what we're talking about. Altogether, it's 1,300 megawatts, but the 400 megawatt section is the part that's under construction. It's 65% complete, so there are tens of thousands of piles in the ground and tracker systems, and the uh, entire uh, solar farm is coming together ahead of schedule. And now we are just uh, anxiously awaiting the arrival of the panels. Well, that's what I was going to ask you about is with all the supply chain issues, Nick, going on out there, how was that process going for you and you guys and with Mammoth because it's such a big project? Yeah, so we always had a very good uh, control over our supply chain. And initially when we ordered the panels, we, we... our goal was to work with the vendors that had the best supply chains, it, which also meant they cost a little more, but it was definitely worth mitigating the risk because as the supply chain issues became more difficult, uh, we were able to have the confidence that these panels actually were going to get delivered on time. They were a few months late, but uh, it doesn't really affect the schedule and uh, we're very excited to, uh, to get them here. Interestingly enough, it's not really the supply chain that ultimately uh, created the stress in all of this. 
it really was the geopolitical tensions. And, uh, you know, as you know, as your listeners know, uh, uh, in the U.S., we've, we've had a little bit of uh, what I would say drama related to the geopolitical tensions in China. So even though our panels do not come from China, that is, they do not come from China, they do have raw materials in them and components that that can come from China. And those components uh, need to be tr- uh, traceable so that uh, it's proven that they do not come from the Uyghur forced labor areas in China. And, uh, and of course, nobody wants panels uh, that have in- anything to do with forced labor. So it took some extra time to validate through uh, a process that the, part, the Department of Commerce has to validate that our panels, in fact, are free from those materials in question. So anyhow, we got it all done, and now the panels are on their way. Well, thank you for that explanation. I know the listeners appreciate uh, you guys going to that extra effort and going that extra mile to make sure they don't come from the forced labor side and uh, they're all clean with regards to uh, where they came from. So that's, you know, we're involved in your first 400 megawatts or you're involved with the first 400 megawatts now, but the the project's uh, 1300 megawatts total when you're complete. Is that correct? Yes. Okay. In the future, kind of be a fortune teller here, the next 900 megawatts that you have to buy at what point do you think your supply chain issues disappear and everything comes in and flows on time as you expect? We're pretty confident that the remaining 900 megawatts are are secure. Uh, you know, we purchased the panels and we're very, uh, there's a lot, you have to hire like third-party consultants who have uh, recognition within the Department of Commerce ecosphere. And they have to go out and do the due diligence on the manufacturers. And they go to the factories that we literally have people in the factories 24-7 watching everything about the, the panel production and then working through the traceability and then ultimately presenting the paperwork for the traceability. So we, it, it's a major commitment on the developer's to do it right, but it does mitigate a lot of the risk. So we're pretty confident that these panels are going to arrive uh, as expected. You know, there are other there are other things that concern us. Like, for example, you've probably heard of Q reform, and basically all of the grid systems are backed up uh, because they have so many applications, and it's slowing things down. Uh, so that that is always a concern when it comes to trying to meet the schedule. But at least at this point, we think the other 900 megawatts are on schedule. And uh, and at least from a panel perspective, uh, we're pretty confident about it. Hey, Nick, what can you tell us if Doral has faced any issues regarding interconnection permits in the ISO? Has that been a problem? Yes. Uh, the interconnection, well, so all of the ISOs are backed up. So it doesn't matter which one you're in, but the one that I would say is backed up the most right now because there's an element of unpredictability is PJM. And 
as you're probably aware, PJM is the largest open access uh, power market uh, in America. It serves 65 million people in 13 states in the District of Columbia. So it's absolutely enormous. It's, it's, it's mainly the mid, mid-Atlantic and uh, a lot of the Midwestern U.S. The, um, the, they have what they call Q reform, which is a new set of rules which are designed to create predictability in, in the schedule and the outcome. Uh, it requires developers to be more serious because it raises the standards and also the costs of getting into the queue process, which is your application to interconnect to the grid. Uh, and the problem there is the transition. Uh, the rule, the set of rule, the new set of rules that they have, which will probably go into effect sometime in uh, Q2 of 2023, those rules uh, are very similar to what you see in other ISOs like MISO and SPP. And so you know to some extent that they'll be effective. However, it's the transition that's very messy because there are over 2,700 applications that are submitted to PJM over the past several years, including as late as about six months ago, and those applications were deposited with assumptions from the developers and quite a bit of money. And, and what you get for those assumptions and money is an expectation that the application that you filed under those rules would be processed uh, in accordance with the rules at the time. So if you can imagine that the developers are out getting permits and dealing with community relations and trying to procure equipment and, and all of the commercial contracts with off-takers and asset managers and O&M and, and EPCs. And I mean, it, it, it's, a, it's a pile of work and it's all time sensitive. And then suddenly the grid is telling you that you have to wait. And, and then for some people who were later in, in their application filings, not only do they have to wait, but the rules are going to change on them after they've done a lot of development work. So it's a very difficult challenge for the developers. And for us, we were very fortunate to have a whole bunch of projects that were early and you know, essentially give us plenty to build during transition periods and, and over the next few years while all of the grid systems work out the backlogs. Uh, but we definitely have projects that I would like to be building next year that now won't be, uh, won't, won't be feasible until the end of the decade. And I was going to say, you know, that that's not good for the adoption rate of renewables and the jobs and the opportunity for America when, you know, there, there's a bureaucratic backlog uh, keeping us from the reality on the ground. You know, we have to tell farmers that they're not retiring next year because an application is stuck in a system. We have to tell uh, communities that we're expecting to be revitalized with our solar revenues and, and, and tax implications and jobs that they have to wait. And it's very difficult. 
And I, I've literally seen uh, uh, farmers uh, cry in front of me because they had to put their future on hold because of delays that, that none of us have, have any control over. Nick, you mentioned how you guys at Doral have had staff working around the clock 24-7 on this project. And, uh, you know, we talked about the supply chain issues and other bumps in the road that have popped up that are nobody's fault. But I, I just wonder about the mechanics of it. For you at the top, like, what's it like kind of overseeing everybody, staffing everyone, and, and just kind of making sure that everybody's on the same page to make sure the project moves in the uh, direction and timeline that you want it to move on? Yeah, thanks for that question. The uh, because it, it, it's it's something that that is the first thing on my mind when I wake up in the morning, and the last thing when I go to bed. That it, there, firstly, there are a few hundred people out in the field every single day working, putting it together, and those are are, are meaningful jobs. And then within our own ranks, uh, we have the best people in the business, and they're really on their toes. And uh, so it, it's very important from a leadership perspective that uh, people are given all the tools that they need to succeed and that they are empowered to, to, uh, to, towards excellence because there's no room for error. You know, there was a time in this business where you could be a little sloppy, you could uh, make a few missteps and, and easily recover, but... At this point, because schedules are compressed and the, un the unpredictability just throws a new curveball at you every day, uh, there, there's absolutely no room for error. Uh, you, you have to be prepared at all times and, and be prepared with contingency plans such that uh, you know, you're able to reach your goal, which is to, uh, to keep the construction uh, and the costs as as forecasted nick thank you for that great answer because i'm sure that there's no doubt in my mind that you uh wake up thinking about it and you go to bed thinking about it because that's what your business is and you don't have any choice in today's world uh those are challenges we all face i want to backtrack a second to uh the interconnection queue that you talked about in our previous uh question you know you said there was 2700 applications in there what do you think? How many of those actually get granted? Twenty five percent, thirty percent? What do you think the 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 rate will be that'll actually get that permit? No more than twenty percent. Twenty percent. Wow. Yeah, and a lot of it is because, and this is part of what Q reform is about, is that uh, there there are a lot of speculators. In, in the queue, there are a lot of non-serious projects. And so it, it's what I would call a lot of noise in the queue. And, uh, and the way that the system was set up in the past, sometimes it was cheaper just to put a queue position in and, and let the grid do all the work and to tell you, you know, if, if you have a good project or not. And, uh, you know, there, there, there wasn't, enough effort required on the part of the developer. And so it just became too easy. And, you know, as solar became a uh, really popular uh, technology, there were just a lot of people that, that were able to, to step up. Anybody who had a farm 
could uh, file a, a queue application uh, for a project. And so there's just a, a lot of really small projects in there and uh, projects that just have, have no uh, serious feasibility behind them. And when the queue reform kicks in and they require a lot more money and also some other standards like proving the uh, a higher standard towards proving the uh, control of the land, uh, then a lot of people are just going to walk away. And then you're going to find that the system has definitely shifted towards the bigger, more capitalized developers. And it's become harder for the smaller developers to succeed. So, and that is why also you're seeing some consolidations and, you know, there's fewer developers, not more. Nick, last one for me. I'm curious. Uh, I know that this is obviously a, a big ordeal on your hands with the Mammoth Solar Project, but I'm just wondering uh, at the company, at Doral, uh, what else, if anything, are you guys up to? Well, so we, we had a really exciting end of year. Uh, you, you may have uh, read in the news that we, we raised over $1.1 billion uh, in uh, essentially development capital. Uh, 600 million of it was a was a tax equity facility from Bank of America, and then we had 500 million from Apollo, uh, one of the largest uh, and premier equity funds uh, in America. So you know, up until now, a lot of our institutional investors were Israeli. We we have the largest uh, insurance company with 90 billion dollars in assets under management, Migdal Insurance. And we have Doral Group, which is uh, the leading IPP in Israel. Uh, they develop and operate renewable energy projects. They have about 40% of the market, and they're publicly traded. Uh, so we've, we've had a lot of uh, Israeli influence, but now we were validated on the U.S. side with uh, Apollo and, uh, and Bank of America. So we're really excited about that. Uh, it's definitely a vote of confidence in our development pipeline. Uh, so since the last time we talked, you know, that, that was one of the big things that happened for us. We're really excited to have, have uh, Apollo as a partner because uh, they really understand the business and uh, they're into the details. And, you know, from, from a leader of a company, you know, you, Believe it or not, you know you want your partners to to be into the details, and uh, because that means that they care, and also, you know, they're lending you their their uh, their ideas and and their their uh, intellectual depth. That's great to hear that you uh, had such a successful raise uh, in validating yourself within the U.S. With all that coming in, do you see yourself? Are you expanding more into? The hydrogen space, more in the battery storage, or continuing to simply, you know, put in solar across the country? Yeah, well, we do have a, a very substantial battery storage portfolio. And uh, so we're, we're excited about it. It's, it's time hasn't totally arrived yet, but we think it will. And, and that's, that's why we, we've invested in this portfolio. Uh, there are some, uh, you know, more adoption of renewables is really the driver behind uh, battery storage. And it, when you look at Q reform and geopolitical tensions, uh, the adoption rate is slow. And, uh, and at this point, storage really only makes sense in California and Texas. 
But soon enough, it will be everywhere else. And uh, we're, we're, we're deeply into it. Uh, so that's, that's kind of uh, where we are. But really, solar and storage and solar plus storage are, are going to keep us busy for, for, the next, uh, for the next, through the end of the decade, for sure. Well, that's terrific. You know, uh, you know, one thing we pride ourselves with on this podcast is educating our listeners, because that was why I started this was to educate all the listeners that showed up. Give the Nick, Nick Cohen view of what you think the listeners should know that's going on in the industry that they might not necessarily read in the newspaper. Well, I, I, I have one last point I'd like to pontificate oh, sure. on because, uh, because I think it's not obvious to most people. And it's that I, I think there's a perception in the public that, uh, that renewables in America are, uh, are happening. And, and I guess it's fair to say they are happening but not at the rate that, that, that people, the general public thinks. You know, public policy wants renewables. We have corporations, we have uh, constituents. Everybody wants the cheap power. Uh, it's, a, it's a good business proposition for everybody and it's good for the environment uh, and investors love it. So we have the IRA, which is a really nice piece of legislation that speaks to all of the things that America needs for, for the future, such as manufacturing and domestic supply. None of that helps us get things built today. So today, our industry is facing a crisis, albeit it's an aberration, but it, it at least for now, the crisis. And the crisis is that we have geopolitical tensions that are creating a situation where, where you can't get panels at a utility scale. And you have uh, grid backlogs, which are pushing any possibility of building a project to the end of the decade. So you have two impediments to the, the rapid adoption of renewable energy. And, you know, the only projects getting built are the ones that were designed and filed three years ago. And so like anybody new who comes along, their projects are not going to see steel in the ground until 2030. And so that's a problem because the IRA is, is set up to promote the adoption of renewables. And, you know, but right now at least, you know, a lot of a lot of it is just going to be on hold until these other issues are worked out. Well, that is a problem, and uh, you know, thank you for sharing that with all of us here. Uh, that that that's important insight that you had to give. So, thank you so much for taking the time to do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, I, I am optim I am optimistic that these concerns will be mitigated, and that somehow America will find a way to to pick up the pace and and in doing so it would be nice if we could get our costs down because you know a panel costs double in the u.s than than anywhere else in the world so and that and a lot of it has to do with uh, the geopolitical tensions i'm going to go back to something that you had said in our last show on episode 82 
So one year ago, you talked about the PPA prices were continuing to go up. So as they go up, mm-hmm. then I guess they could support that higher cost if it was an American-made panel. With cost being higher in the U.S. now, how's that PPA price compared to what it was a year ago? Yeah, it, I mean, it, it's definitely um, in line with the cost increases. And, you know, what it means is that uh, Americans are, are paying more for their power than they need to. And uh, I don't know, but we know that we're installing the cheapest source of power. And yet, uh, you know, because because of tariffs and other uh supply chain issues related to geopolitical tensions and because of the supply and demand, or I I would say the supply shortage caused by the grid backlog, energy costs more when everywhere else it costs less. So it's, uh, you know, not right. And I think at some point it will, it will come down, but, uh, you know, I, I'd like to see, uh, Americans, uh, paying the least for energy. We, we, we have the competitive advantage over the entire world with our energy diversity and independence. And it should be reflected in the cost that we have the economy of scale. We have everything. And, uh, and a few years ago, our, our power prices and our costs for the, these, these types of projects were, were reflected in that view such that, the prices were going down and, and people were not paying a lot for their power, but today it's going in the other direction and hopefully um, it gets resolved soon. And uh, we get the cheap, clean power that we all deserve. All right, Nick. Well, before we let you go, let's just kind of end with kind of an open forum. If there's anything else going on in the industry or going on with the that you'd like to share, uh, certainly feel free to take the time now. No, I think I think we covered it all. You you guys asked all the questions that I know people are thinking about, and uh, we're glad to uh, to tell you all about the, the exciting things happening at Doral and Mammoth, and um, we hope to have the opportunity to come back and and re- report the next update. Well, you can't see him, but Mike's shaking his head and giving a thumbs up. So, Mike, any final word? No, Nick. Thank you so much for joining us again, and. You're always invited. If you got any big announcements that you ever have when you're putting out a press release, let us know. Come on. You can come on the show for a follower Friday. That's typically a five to eight minute show where we just give it uh, listeners a chance to hear our guest give an announcement over our podcast method of uh, broadcasting. So you're welcome anytime, my friend. That's terrific. Uh, we really appreciate uh, all your time, and uh, and we look forward to uh, the next big announcement uh, with you guys. So, Mike, Mike, and Greg, thank thank you, uh, and to all your listeners. There you go. Always good to have another Cherry Hill East Cougar on the podcast. Alongside Mike Niemer, I am Greg Frank. This has been episode one sixty four of the Green Insider, powered by E Renewable. As the saying goes, you learn something new every day, and we were responsible for today's lesson, so make sure to leave us a five-star rating wherever you get your podcast from. Everyone, enjoy the rest of your week, and we'll talk to you on episode 165.